I don't know if that was what a question. Hello everybody. Hello everybody, this is Arnold Schwarzenegger. Let me tell you, if you're looking for the best painter in McHenry County, you've got to call Rose Painting. You call Tom Rose at 815-735-4654. It's fantastic. When you talk about prompt, courteous, and full service, he'll come out and do your job, whether you need interiors or exteriors or whatever you need done. He's super fantastic. They're there all the time. You can reach him anytime. And he'll be there and do the work till he's finished. Let me tell you, call Rose Painting, 815-735-4654, and tell him Arnold sent you. Tom Rose, don't come out and do your job. <laughs> <laughs> now, welcome to our 30, 35th episode. I think, uh, what do you think? You're into 35? Oh, I, I counted. I would say it's 35. Absolutely. I'm going to go with 35. I'll second that. Okay. You know how I know? Because I wrote 34 from last week. I crossed <laughs> it out and wrote 35 for tonight. So, so we're all on the same page. Okay. Well, without further ado, I'd like to I'd like to hand it off to our uh, our fantastic host, Mr. Rick Atwater. Thank you. How many listeners across the world? Gosh, I wish. I think we have about so 20. We've had about 23,000 listeners. Wow. Uh, a little bit more, actually. Some of our most, actually, the most popular show uh, had about over 2,500 listens. So, so that's a good, that's a pretty good listenership. So, yeah, great. Well, that's you know, that's not intimidating. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, let's just look at, look at it this way. They don't all listen at once. Yeah. So, anyway, hi and welcome to Recovery Internet Radio and our show, Straight Stuff on Addictions tonight. Our tag is East Meets West, the value of yoga in recovery. Thanks for joining us tonight where we are every Sunday night at 8 o'clock. Thanks to our engineer, Chris A. Hey. Woo! Hi, Chris. I love you, Chris. Big hand for Chris. <laughs> and our guest tonight, Shan. Shans. 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 All right, I'm going to get that. I'm going to get that right. You, yeah, that's Shams. okay. You can struggle right, with it. It'll be good for you. Help me out, though. Okay. Okay. <laughs> so you can call into the show for questions, comments, or opinion at 323-792-2977, or you can tweet at Rick Atwater. So please let us know. <laughs> I'm tweeting. Let us know. We'd love to hear from you. Remember to check out recoveryinternetradio.com. Our website. Oh, thanks. Oh, yeah. Our website again, Chris, is that's recoveryinternetradio.com. Thank you. Links to the show, our archives, uh, local community resources, and you know all, whatever else I could think of, I guess. Okay. Yeah. 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 So it's a great way to, to hear some of the other shows that we've done, and um, we hope you we we hope you uh, do take a look at that and. Um, also, as I, I've been saying every week, and I'll, I guess I'll keep saying it until 
until I told some caller calls up and tells me not to. We we really would love to know where you're listening from because since we're an internet radio show, we the broadcast goes anywhere where the internet goes. So we never know where our listeners are. Yeah, apparently um, goes it goes all over. So I've been told. That's like, what I heard. Yeah. The internet can go anywhere. Okay. Uh-huh. <laughs> so we don't know where you're from, and we know we've had some listens from out of the country. Where we've had uh, a listen from Turkey. We've had a listen from. Germany, we've had... I was going to say Tennessee, but that's not really out of the country. No, Tennessee's here in the old U.S. of A. So anyway... In the mind it is. Yeah. (laughs) In the mind it is. Yeah. Geographically, it's not. Uh, That's true. Um, So if you go to the website, you can sign up for our um, reminder list, and that way we would know where you're from, and we hope you'll let us know. Um, We have one... I'm going to mention one um, uh, group... A friend of ours, we try to try to sort of mention some of our local people that we that we meet along the along the dusty trail. And uh, I had the uh, good fortune to meet with Kara from the Yoga Lounge uh, in Woodstock, Illinois. And uh, since we're talking to Shams uh, about uh, yoga tonight, did I get it right? You did. Okay. Yes, you did. Um, I wanted to just give a shout-out to uh, Kara and the Yoga Lounge, and she can be reached at woodstockyogalounge.com, or you can call at 815-337-9866. Nice gal, and it's a lovely space, and uh, so we hope you give her a call or check in with her. Um, There's a couple other things I'll mention at halftime. Um, but I think maybe we should go ahead and get started with our questions for tonight. And our, you ready? I am. All right. I am ready. He's so, ready uh, first of all, thanks for coming. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And you know, thanks for being here on this, you know, kind of cold and gloomy night. It's dark and gloomy night. It feels good. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. I'm glad. You got the great good. chair too. I do. It's a wonderful chair. Yeah. I, know. I could just sit in this chair for a long time. Look, so you at home, you can't see this, but it's what kind of a, it's like a, a examination almost. It's a, bar, it's, it's a barber chair. Bar chair. It's a barber chair, but it doesn't feel, you know, it's just... Like I should ask you, how is it, I mean, how is it posturally? Oh, well. <laughs> okay. It has its so moments, but... <laughs> Do you want a haircut or... Um. Okay, so let me let me ask you this. Um mm-hmm. Well, first of all, it's funny because when you when you came in, I knew you I knew you as less mm-hmm. and so can we can we just talk a little bit about the transition from less to Shams? Yeah, um, you know, back um, this is before uh, before recovery. I actually um, spent some time with uh, I went to study percussion with a gentleman on the uh, northwest side of Chicago, Hamid Drake. Um, and as it turns out, I went there thinking I was there to study percussion, but as it turns out, this guy was a Sufi and a Buddhist and traveled all over the world and introduced me to a bunch of different ways of living, and one of them was Sufism. And so he gave me that name. And um, I've been given other names. Uh, that name kind of stuck, but for some reason, at some point in my sobriety, that name became more relevant than less. Mm-hmm. Which to me made sense because I was no longer the terrified little child that I was. I was now this other thing, which mm. I still don't know what is, but it, it's definitely different than that. What, so What is becoming. Yeah, right. And so that name stuck. And so now it's just kind of spread out. To most people don't even know. A lot of people don't know me by less any longer. Most people just know me by Shams. Does, so. uh, does it have a 
of spiritual significance? Uh, well, I mean, in, in Arabic or in Persian, Farsi, it means sun, sunlight. Mm. You know, um, so that, and it's also Shams was the uh, student of Rumi, or the Shams was a teacher of Rumi mm. in Sufism. Rumi was the great poet, mm -hmm. um, and Shams was his teacher. Okay. So I took on that name, and interestingly enough, um, spent some time speaking with a gentleman from Pakistan at one point, who was one of our teachers, who said, my God, he's like, that's a name. He's like, good luck living up to that. <laughs> <laughs> I thought, well, I don't know if I like that, you know. But... <laughs> and, and we did, challenge. And we did yeah. talk about it before, that you, you do write some poetry. I do. I do write poetry, yes. So I guess it really, you know, as Rumi's teacher, it better be top-notch, huh? Well, I'm hoping. <laughs> <laughs> you know, poetry is kind of difficult to... To you know, categorize yeah, what really, I, it's, it's, it's hard and it's, it's a personal thing. You know, and, if I'd have thought of it, I'd have, I would have asked you to to bring a piece or two. And I actually thought of that this morning, but didn't have time to do that. Yeah. But you know, okay. um, we'll, we'll have another well, time. time. We'll yeah, yeah, we'll do that again. We'll do sure. That. So let's. So that you know, kind of wanted to get that covered. Maybe we could back up a little bit. Mm -hmm. and we could talk about uh, just a, a little bit about like where you kind of where you came from, how you. How you grew up, what, what kind of a kid you were, you know, your history. I grew up, I was born uh, and grew up on the northwest side of Chicago. Um, my parents uh, were the parents of people who came back here directly from World War II. Uh, some of them were in concentration camps, some weren't. Many of them had horror stories to tell. Um, the way I see it, my, my, my parents uh, were the parents of people who were shell-shocked from the war, and so as far as I'm concerned, my parents were still shell-shocked too. It, it was an, an inherited. It was inherited because they were born so young into their par my grandparents' lives that they had no time to break out of it, and so I pretty much absorbed that. Is shell shock the same as afraid? Um, yeah, yeah, afraid, terrified, unable to cope, just having no idea what's going on. Yeah. I mean, the, the stories that my grandparents told me pretty horrifying. I mean, yeah. and not just people who were in the camps, but just like living in Warsaw and, and places and watching. What, what was your nationality, Polish? Polish, a little bit of Russian. I, I believe there's some gypsy in there. I don't know. You know, it's a Slavic mutt. I like to call myself. You know? <laughs> Cause that's what it comes down to. I mean, you know, I actually, interestingly enough, I was always fascinated with like Hasidic Jewish culture too. Uh -huh. Although I was never taught that by my family, but that was a, a big part of my life. So Is that in your neighborhood. No, it just came to me. It's just a weird thing. Especially when I got sober, I started reading. Um, I forget his name, Joshua Heschel, was one of the great uh, Kabbalistic rabbis. And somehow, some of his like words became like really relevant to me in my sobriety. So, I don't know, go figure, you know, things things take on wherever different they, forms. Yeah, I mean, from. it's like, there's no... Well, it's, I mean, it's great that you have that open of a mind that you can take in whatever comes your way. I mean, that's, that's a great thing. So, mm -hmm. you, so, you grew up on the northwest side of Chicago mm -hmm. most of the time? Mm -hmm. Yeah, and then... What happened? Uh, well, you know, I just, like I, well, you know, I'll, I'll be You're honest. Just a basic city kid. A basic city kid, but I was also like, I came into the world terrified. You know, I mean, that's that's my that's my the, that's the fundamental thing. Is I remember just like from the moment I became verbal, I was terrified of the world. Mm -hmm. Um, so I I could never function totally well mm -hmm. on some level. You know, I was always felt kind of impaired. And um, since we're talking about addiction uh yeah. you know the first time i drank was as an altar boy i think i was in uh third grade mm -hmm. and i snuck behind 
uh, with my friend Stanley, and I poured the wine out of the cruet, and he was like, you can't do that, and I did, and I, it was the first time I felt like Superman. I was like, this is awesome, right. and I didn't do it again for a couple of years till my uncle's wedding, where I was, I think I was 10, and I got bombed out of my mind, and it took me like three days to wake up. This is when we know that we're in trouble, when it's, well, when it's the answer. Right, right, yeah, exactly, and I, I mean, of course, looking back, at that, that's the time I didn't realize that. I was like, right. you know, but then... Um, it was shortly after that I got into uh, third year, fourth year of high school, discovered marijuana and booze combined, and then I was like, and it wasn't just a shot and a toke, it was like a pint and, you know, four or five bongs. You know, I just, I needed to be completely obliterated at all mm -hmm. times. And Who were you running with? I mean, what, what kind of crowd were you running with? Uh, just high school musicians, yeah. um, theater people. Yeah. I was an artsy guy, and so that carried that. Mm -hmm sort of vibe with it and um you know we were playing music together i think the first time i smoked pot was in a, somebody's attic we were listening to rush i think it was one of their live albums or something mm -hmm. like that but i remember the strobe lights were on and i you know and that was i was gone i was like oh my god this is just heaven <laughs> i was i was like you know it's a music somatic sort of thing so i was like on my way you know i thought this is incredible were you interested? I mean, were you interested at the same time this this was happening? Had you already had an interest in um, this, you know the spiritual world or that? Yeah, I did. I, um, I was an altar boy, um, as I mentioned, yeah. and and one of the things that struck me, I, I, I grew up in this church that was built on the it was it was built in the 1800s. It was one of these huge cathedral type things with the carvings and all that and. Mm. I just remember as, as an altar boy getting in there at six in the morning and lighting the candles and watching the statues come to life and stuff mm. like that. I was blown away by that. Um, it just took a couple of years before the hypocrisy of the Catholic Church. I heard it, mm -hmm. and I, I, it was became very apparent to me that it was like something's really wrong here. Mm -hmm. um, so I pulled out of that, um, but I never led the spiritual component. Was always there. So by the time I got to high school, I was like. I was cutting classes and going to the library and reading about Wicca, mm -hmm. you know, whatever. I mean, Satanism, yoga, whatever came through. I mean, mm -hmm. it's shamanism, anything that had anything Edgar to do with Edgar Casey. And I was also a big fan of comic books when I was a kid. So for me, somehow, that was a big element in my thing was something about, you know, those Marvel comic books were, t they were like, no, there's something about reality you don't understand. And I was like, okay, maybe. <laughs> that they had that you didn't. That I didn't. Yeah, right, right, right. Something going on. In those Something going on. Yeah, that you know, who knows what it was, but um, the idea was that I I went in that direction pretty quickly. So by the time I was eighteen, I was hanging out at the Vedanta Society in Hyde Park and. What would it tell? Say what that is. Uh, the Vedanta Society was formed by there was a gentleman named uh, Swami Vivekananda who was a, a yogic teacher who came here in the eighteen hundreds, the World Parliament of Religions in Chicago, and it was one of the first people who taught yoga mm -hmm. to a western audience um he came here and a bunch of different places started after him to sort of carry uh not his name so much but carry you know the, the vedanta tradition yeah. yeah exactly what he brought and so i wound up going there and wound up just i studied with a man named swami bashananda he was one of the first people who taught me what meditation was which was nothing but um finding silence and, and resting in that it had nothing to do with anything but that which um it was pretty mind-blowing to a kid at 18, you know. I was like, mm -hmm. oh, this is pretty interesting. Mm -hmm. um, so I just kind of picked up on that stuff, you know. Mm -hmm. So it's kind of interesting because for me, a lot of this stuff was mixed together. And the interesting thing was is that 
when I was practicing the spirituality, the alcoholism wasn't there, or the drug, the addictions weren't there. But when the addictions were there, the spirituality wasn't there. So they did not coexist. So they not not totally. I mean, there there were times when they started to come together, but for the most part, they were traveling two separate paths, two separate worlds. Mm-hmm. Well, it's pretty. I would think that it would be pretty hard to make that make that make sense. I tried. <laughs> <laughs> I just didn't get anywhere. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, well, I got to some really interesting places of profound confusion, but that didn't... Yeah. Yeah, I think um, getting high and meditating makes for a bad buzz. I just don't... Well, I mean, they say it can be done, but I think you need to do it in settings that are appropriate to that. And growing up on the northwest side of Chicago, getting pot on some street corner is, is really not a shamanic experience, you know? It's, no, it's just probably, kind of probably like, not. It's probably more of a street experience. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And then, Did you get into uh, hallucinogens? I did. Actually, hallucinogens were... I, I really enjoyed hashish and mm-hmm. um, psychedelics. Mm-hmm. And how... I mean, because I know that, you know, I mean, some people use that as a, as a doorway. I, mean, yeah. I think that actually became a doorway for me, and I, I, I don't like talking about this because there's a lot of stigmata about that, and a lot of people don't quite understand the psychology of the psychedelic experience, and there actually is a profound catalog of knowledge about what that is. Um, but for me, I think that, that that turned me on to the idea that there was something larger mm-hmm. afoot, yeah. and I just I just didn't know how to grasp it. Right. And and like I again said, you know, being in the spaces I was, I I was grasping futilely. I wasn't actually getting anything. Yeah. yeah. So it's, yeah, I think, yeah, that's very, that's very heady, uh, difficult mm-hmm. stuff to, to pull together, especially now we're talking when you're in your 20s or, or late I was, teens. I was in my late teens, early 20s. Yeah. And of course I was a musician, so I was like deeply influenced by a lot of that. I mean, it's interesting when you look back on it to see how a lot of these things played into the space you were in. Yeah. Know, what kind of what kind of music were you playing? Uh, well, you know, it's interesting because I was playing um, guitar. I was in heavy metal bands, you know, okay. um, which was... But I wasn't a heavy metal guitarist. I was really into jazz. And I mean, I, I used to listen to like Richie Blackmore and these cats simply because they were playing music from a different place that fed into where they were playing as, as, as rock guitarists. Mm-hmm. So that was kind of, you know, like Jimmy Page for me was brilliant, not because he was Jimmy Page, but because he was like this amazing blues guitarist. So yeah. I think on some level I was going back to those, I was trying to get back to those places, you know. Does that make sense? Yeah. Like yeah. You, it sounds like you were doing the, the heavy metal, you were in a band, it was a heavy metal band, it just was what you were doing, but not who you... Well, it was also fun and it was, it was a crazy yeah, time and, to, you know... It's hard for me to see you in a, in a heavy metal band. I have just, pictures of, I had hair down to my waist and just, the whole yeah. thing. Yeah, it was a crazy time. I mean, yeah, yeah it's, it's, yeah. It's different. Different. It's different. Were you doing, had you, had you started uh, your yoga practice at that time your your personal practice of yoga at that I time I started um uh, my uh, yoga in terms of hatha the the asana you know the the physical practice I started uh I was 22 okay and I started it then um with a gentleman downtown named Gabriel Halpern okay uh, yeah. who actually just taught down here in Woodstock recently um, really where yeah. did he, where did he at the yoga at, lounge at the yoga lounge okay. but I met him uh, downtown and I started studying with him and again, it was one of those things. I got into yoga, and suddenly all the addiction stuff disappeared because I was like, "Oh, this is incredible," you know. So you you've kind of had you've had multiple you've had multiple lives here, kind of. You had the yeah the young, crazy, uh, uh, addicted life, and then mm-hmm. uh, st- 
stepped into kind of into the spiritual. Well, there's a spiritual, aesthetic, poetic, you know, literary sort of thing going on. Was that ever? I mean, I, you know, it's kind of a maybe uh, a bit of a rude question, but uh-huh. what, did, you, did it ever occur to you that that, or did you ever think that the the spiritual stuff you were doing was uh, an escape for you at the time as well as the as much as the drugs were? Yeah. And is that was that part of the confusion for you, or um, looking back on it, it's different. I know. But. Looking back on it, it's different. But I think at the time it was part of the confusion. But the confusion wasn't so much. It, it just I couldn't get at something through the spirituality. Okay. I knew there was something to get at. I couldn't get at it, and that's what became really perplexing to me. And like, was what was stopping you? The, dr- the drugs and alcohol. Yeah. Ultimately, it's interesting because when I became sober. When I when I took on sobriety as a posture, um, my spirituality like exploded. Yeah, it's, it's incredible. I mean, the, uh, suddenly people came into my life, circumstances, situations. I was just like, what the hell is going well, on here? And, but the way you and the way you say that is probably the way um, a yogi would. Would you? Can I call you a yogi? Sure. Okay. The way a yogi or a practitioner of mm-hmm. yoga would say, "I'm sober," is take on. The posture of sobriety. Yeah, yeah, because it is a posture. It's a posture. What is it? How does it? How does it look? Does it have a physical? <laughs> does it have a physical manifestation? Um. Well, I think it differs from person to person, but I, yeah. I think you can see it in their eyes. You can see it okay. in in their demeanor. You can the see it the way they carry themselves. As a massage therapist, I I I am very keen at the way people's bodies move. Yeah. And you can see dignity in a person's body without them ever telling you anything about themselves. Just as well as you can see a broken, yeah, exactly, self-respect. Just as well as you can see a person who's broken in some fundamental way. That's very interesting. I've never thought about it like that. I think that's a, that's a really interesting point. It's it's pretty mind-blowing, actually. Yeah. yeah. To be able to read, uh, to be able to read bodies. Yeah, like you know, you, you see it like a like a posture. Like mm-hmm. you know, obviously it's not a certain pose, but you know, like you said, how you, how someone carries themselves. And, yeah. Well, that's and that's where yoga. If we can go into this for a second, I mean, this is where yoga became fundamental to me in my recovery was that um, when you take on a certain posture, you know, I I mean, for example, triangle pose, I think I've probably done triangle pose at least 2000 times already. When you think about doing one, that's just one pose in that many classes, when you when you've taken on a certain pose that many times, it rearranges your body. It rearranges your endocrine system. It rearranges the way you think. It re- there's a whole series of shifts that happen inside of you that when you've done it that many times, you can never leave any longer because now that posture has become part of who you are. And I don't, could you describe what, what triangle pose is? Because I don't, I don't know. I'm yeah, well, triangle pose is just you're standing with your feet about three feet apart. The In this case, the left foot is pointing forward. The right foot is on a 30-degree angle. You build up from the ankles into the knees and from the knees into the hips. So you, you build a base and then from that base, the entire body shifts to one position. Okay. Um, and then you form like a triangle reaching up into space with the right hand and reaching down with the left one, hand. And that one hand touching the ground or just, or well, ultimately you want to touch the ground. It takes time to get there. So until okay. you get there, you can touch your hand or you can touch your ankle or you use blocks. I mean, one of the things about yoga is that you can use a lot of props to get you into the pose. So your body feels it. And once okay. you feel it, then you can actually 
get into that. I'm sure, you know, some listeners might not know what. They, yeah, I mean, that's why I was kind of afraid to talk about it because I mean, okay, you moving into technical jargon and people are like, ah. But no, yeah, so. And that's what yoga is about, is it's about taking on, I mean, ultimately yoga in the yoga scriptures is, or the yoga teachings, the whatever, the, the Patanjali's yoga sutras, yoga it simply means you're taking on a posture that will make it uh, compatible with prolonged periods of meditation. Okay. So you have to still the body, you have to still the mind, you have to still the appetites, you have to come to a place where those things allow you a certain amount of space. Um, to be able to practice meditation, which and what about and what what part does breath play in that? Um, well, there's, well, there's two parts to that. One is that by assuming those postures, you immediately come to terms with the fact that you don't know how to breathe. <laughs> it becomes really yeah, it becomes very apparent very quickly that right. you don't know how to breathe. So you have to start practicing breathing in relation to the postures and postures in relation to the breathing. Right. Um, but that then the so my definition it teaches you how to breathe. It, well, it, yeah. it, fundamentally it starts to, but then the interesting thing is you move into what is called pranayama, which is the yoga of the breath, which is then you start to learn exactly how to breathe. Mm. So then you learn postures simply for breathing, which are mostly supine. You're almost doing nothing, but you actually you're controlling your musculature mm. to learn how to breathe properly. Okay, well that's I, I mean that's that's a good description, and. You know, so but back to, you know, you know, you're you're so you're a body worker as well as a yoga teacher. Or maybe are those are those synonymous, or do you separate those? You're a, a well, massage therapist. They're synonymous to me. I mean, I think people like to separate them, but I think yeah. it's the same thing. You the same? Yeah. Okay. And you would, and so you can read bodies. Can you also read bodies in regards to other things besides, you know, alcohol and drug abuse? I mean, obviously you. You know, muscular things. You can well, yeah, you can actually. Um, sometimes just, uh, I mean, just looking at the way a person holds themselves, um, the language they use. Hmm. Sometimes um, the smell coming out of the body. It's mm -hmm. really interesting as a massage therapist. A lot of people don't realize this, but you become very intimate with your clients in ways that you don't even know about. Mm -hmm. um, but, yeah, a lot of things start to come to you. So uh, I think posture ultimately is the big one. Mm -hmm. Just because people come to you for a certain pain, sure, and you try to undo that pain, but it's um, it's a two way street. They need to do certain things in order to continue to have that open, and if they don't, then immediately you realize, oh, so you don't want to change. What's that about, you know? And so then you start right. to follow that through, and then so you ask simple questions like, what do you eat? What do you do? And then you start to realize that. You know, well, so you don't drink water, you drink coffee and beer, and you don't exercise, but you watch TV, and so blah, blah, blah. Those are choices. Know. And they're choices, and those lead to what the body does, mm -hmm. yeah. And yeah. then the way bodies carry themselves is the way you present yourself to the world and the way you present... I mean, it's 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 all exponential, really. Mm -hmm. so, so let me get back to... What yeah, let's let's spiral this back down to something yeah, a little well, more simplistic. Well, we're, we're gonna, I want to come back to that because I'm glad we're. I mean, I'm really glad we, we're we're talking specifically about the yoga and the body work. But um, so, but where I'd like to get before we take a break is where you got to. What brought you kind of to the point where you felt like you personally you needed to find a way into the the recovery the substance-free recovery? Um, <laughs> what, was the, what, what were the final straws for you? Um, 
multiple strokes, hospitalization with seizures, um, not strokes, but seizures, uh, some uh, injuries that um, doctors to this day have said should have killed me. Mm. Um, Falling? Falling, um, blackouts. I, I, you know, as an alcoholic, I became very fond of blackouts. Hmm. And what I, I, I'm serious about that because yeah, I actually. Not many people will say fond of blackouts. But I, I actually did. I mean, I practiced blacking out, where I, I actually have periods of my life I know nothing about, but other people can tell me about, and I'm like, wow, it's really interesting because mm-hmm. you know, it's like cause there's something fascinating about that to me that I was like, able maybe to, like, I wanted to forget anyway. Or... Well, right, or kill myself or whatever, but. Um, so it was a combination of those things, but ultimately, I, you know, I actually started practicing yoga before I got back into recovery. Um, I actually went to a yoga studio in Barrington, and I sat down for a yoga class, and I was like, oh, my God, I'm home. And it was shortly after that that I took a trip to Colorado. Um, I was gone for a multiple number of weeks, but when I came back to Illinois, I was so sick I couldn't function. Um, and I had, um, I collapsed a couple times and like parts of my body went numb. But when that happened, I actually, and this is common in recovery literature, but I remember something saying, um, okay, this is done now. It's time for you to recover. And so I went online and found an AA group and went there and mm-hmm. uh, met this gentleman named Michael, who was my first sponsor. Mm-hmm. And often. That just that was it. It was like from there, it was like the whole thing was like, okay, we go now. And um, (laughs) it wasn't easy. I mean, because I, you know, I mean, if you if any addict knows, I mean, it's not really easy to like completely let go of those things. No. Um, But at the same time, it was because, uh, you know, that first year was rough. I mean, I, I don't know what other people's experiences have been, but my first year of recovery was hellish. I mean, because, I mean, just simply clearing the waste out of the body and the mind was like, you know, and then doing that, realizing that there was a whole bunch of psychological debris that needed to be cured. And then after realizing that, then realizing that on some level, there are parts of your life physically that are in shambles and needed to be undone. So that was not hard, but, or not easy, but, um, that's a great, by the way, that's a great description of the levels of repair that need to be made Hmm. that, when people, I think when people first come into recovery, they don't, it's not, and it's probably a good thing, you know, that you don't know all the work that you have to do. Sure, my God, that would, that would set me running about, immediately. It's, it's been like, you know, I'm done, man. You know, but it's like, yeah, there's things, you know, there's things that need to be done, and they can be done, you know, I mean, the good news here is that, you know, you're here talking about it, so obviously you did all those things, and everybody else on this on this show that we've talked to that's been in recovery has been, have been people that have done those things, right, so right. there's a whole you know, bunch of people who... Some methodology and a bunch of people who know how to do that. But it can be really intimidating. It can be intimidating. So uh, what I'd like to do is I I, want to basically spend the the, the, largely the second half of our our conversation about kind of how how you went about doing that and how yoga played, specifically how yoga played a part in that. Okay. So I think we'll take a break here. We'll play some music that... um, 
that we, we, we asked you to choose, which I'm glad of. Yeah, Thievery Corporation is just this uh, ambient whatever. I don't know what you call them, but they, they, they are two DJs from New York who managed to mix together a whole bunch of different kinds of music. And you and use it in your work? I actually use it for massage, uh, in private massage, and it tends to really help people a lot. Okay, good. Because it's not just the sort of new agey. But I've never heard of it before tonight. But this is going to be like live, so we 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 can't hoot and holler. We gotta. (laughs) All right. So, uh, well, without further ado, here uh, we'll we'll get it started, and uh, we'll be back with you in just a few minutes. Welcome back to Recovery Internet Radio. Hopefully uh, you've been enjoying the show so far. I know I found it pretty darn interesting. Um, I've got a couple of uh, brief announcements here while we're uh, while we're finishing up our break. I'd like to say uh, uh, check out one of our favorite bands, uh, Double Take. Uh, you can check out their website, doubletakechicago.com, and uh, 
check out some of their uh, their upcoming gigs. I know they play a lot of uh, a lot of local shows and uh, really good. They're good. Yeah. I didn't get I haven't got a chance to go out to see them, but you did not that long ago, did you? We did. We did. We're a great dance band. Thanks. Check it out. Not that I danced. <laughs> <laughs> if you're feeling frisky. If you're uh, feeling frisky, yeah. I also like to say uh, check out check out one of our uh, one of our gal was on the show uh, not that long ago has a company called Dirty Laundry Design. Um, and they make addiction and recovery cars. Right. You know, I mean, you, you can't really go to Hallmark and find something that says what you want to say all the time. So, no. <laughs> no. They don't do AA anniversaries at Hallmark. Not the no, not that I've no, seen. Yeah. Not that I've seen. Maybe Although now that we're talking about it, they probably will. Right. But, but check them out. It's at dirtylaundrydesigns.com. Um, and they've got some really, really cool And that's stuff. Colleen. Colleen. That's right. <laughs> that's right. Or you can call them at 815 245 1209. Uh, also, one of our uh, another one of our sponsors, Dr. Tom Franz with Franz Chiropractic and uh, and wonderful Crystal Lake. Give him a call uh, and, and get adjusted here. Give him a call at 815-444-9466. That's Dr. Tom Franz. Um, and without further ado, let's get back to the show. All right, thank you. Uh, so, um, yeah, so let's. Maybe we could pick up where we left off, which was um, kind of the early, the early parts of your sobriety, and you had kind of nicely laid out the pieces that you needed to address. Mm-hmm. You know, the the physical part, and uh, you'd had some you'd had some seizures, so there was obviously some physical stuff to be addressed. Did that get did that get handled? Were you okay once once you got clean? Yeah, interestingly enough, I. Um it all just kind of faded away, which mm-hmm. um, is still kind of... And you said you had some other injuries that were, were, were... Well, during one of the seizures, I wound up slamming my head on the ground, so I had a concussion. Mm-hmm. Um, the other thing that happened, too, is just, I mean, it was, you know, pronounced vomiting. I mean, when you take in that much alcohol, mm-hmm. I mean, there's just... Plus, there's there's a point... I, I did a lot of reading <laughs> about the physiology of alcoholism, and there comes a point in, in an alcoholic's career where um, it becomes impossible to drink the amount you wanted to. And so there's this like weird sort of uh, imbalance that starts to happen where when once, you know, nine shots would have worked, now only three work, and it just gets worse and worse and sicker and sicker. So, yeah, yeah I had to deal with a lot of that. Um, the interesting part of that was that yoga was really helpful for that for me because um, I had to deal with, I mean, yoga is a, is a purely physical thing. I mean, most of the places where you're going to study yoga, they're not really talking about pranayama or meditation. They're just getting you to, like, move your body in certain ways. Mm-hmm. And so I um, I had to do that and naturally uh, just wound up going through some profound cleaning. I mean, there was just, you know, a detox that started to happen Um which I think for me was huge because um, until that happens, you're kind of screwed as far as I'm concerned. No, I'm serious because, I mean, you can you can mentally stay, you're sober, but your body is still living as a drunk. Right. Um, and you're not going to get out of that. Again, coming from the position of a body worker, realizing that you, your body, until your body changes, you don't change. We had a friend. This is an interesting thing. I want, to, I want your take on this. We had a friend who was doing some body work with actually with a napropath who mm-hmm. was working on her lower back and he pressed in in certain in some areas I don't know I suppose maybe in the area of her liver 
and actually the odor of alcohol. Mm -hmm. And this was, this was, uh, what was this? This was 10, was this 10, 10 years maybe down the road for her? Yeah. 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 Does it, I mean, have you heard of stuff? Like I've that? experienced that. I've actually had clients come in who have come for a massage and like halfway through the massage, the room smells of like stale vodka. And it's like, wow. Even okay. though they haven't been drinking. Well, they, I don't know how long it's been, but yeah. um, it doesn't smell like it's yeah. something from the night before. Let's put yeah. it that way. Uh, yeah. So okay. um, well, yeah, yeah, so it's not. It's, I don't think it's uncommon. Okay. Yeah, this was just a just a wild yeah. set of circumstances. But anyway, so the, mm -hmm. so it takes a while for the physical stuff to clear, but for you, it it did. Well, it did, and and I yeah, because I mean, for me, yoga was just a natural thing for me. I just suddenly was like, like I said, I, I came back to that one class, and I was like, wow, I'm home. Mm -hmm. I mean, that was the that was the visceral sense of like I'm home, and so suddenly the practice took off. Um, now, not to say that wasn't, it was never totally easy. I, I The interesting thing about yoga is putting your body in these contorting positions will liberate emotions that are locked in certain parts of the body. So, for example, the hips, according to yogic physiology, carry a lot of emotion. Mm -hmm. So when the hips are twisted, contorted, backbended, or whatever, usually what happens is that you get the rampant flood of emotions comes to the surface. And, and are there particular emotions associated with particular postures? Um, yeah, for example, when you're doing um, backbends or when you're doing what are called pigeon poses, when you're doing these like weird knee bends mm -hmm. and stuff like that, um, yeah, a lot of emotions come out of that. Mm -hmm. Okay. And so usually what happens is it can be a flood of emotion and it's really individual according to the person. A lot of times you don't even know what the hell it is you're going through. You're just kind of like, you're, you're just releasing Tear, tears. Tears come or the... Yeah, tears or, or weeping or, or anger whatever. or whatever. I mean, it yeah. can be, I, I remember having... Very distinct memories of childhood. I remember having distinct memories of being a child in the woods, but it wasn't in this lifetime. Now, I don't know if that, I mean, who knows what the hell that was, but <laughs> no, seriously. I mean, because, you know, it's just like, whoa, what is this? Um, sure. But yeah, some of those things came out. The interesting thing was that after a, after a prolonged period of doing that, there was a clarity that also came. Um, I think the the one moment that came for me, and I, again, this is only looking back, but I just remember at one point, Waking up one morning, and I, I, I've always been practicing meditation while I was getting sober. Um, but I remember one morning I was just sitting in uh, Shine, it's the Tibetan Buddhist name for, for uh, meditation, and I just remember feeling a profound sense of spaciousness. That's all I can describe. It had nothing to do with me, it had nothing to do with my identity, it had nothing to do with the world or anything like that. I was present as consciousness in an infinite field of spaciousness. And that was mind-blowing mm -hmm. in a very real way, not like the psychedelics or not like the pain of my childhood. Suddenly I realized I had a taste of what, for lack of a better word, would be called a sense of freedom. Yeah, and, yeah. and what, would the, what would the analogy be? Would there be an analogy in, the, in recovery language to that feeling? I, I would automatically think of, the sense of of the third step of, of having of having turned it over. Yeah, that, thank you. That's actually a really good way of putting it. It was somehow I just like let go of everything to like yeah. there's something much larger at work here that I'm only a part of, and you know. Because you've had to do. I mean, you've had to do that. See, some people I think come into the twelve step programs and they don't have to. They don't have to translate. They might add something later, mm -hmm. but they don't have to translate in. Oh, right, right, right. You right. had a different language coming in the door. Right. So you had to translate into, you know, 
That's kind of interesting because that's been my whole experience is I've, I've yeah. constantly been translating these experiences from a yogic or a Buddhist point of view into an AA point of view. How um, how in the world did you do that? <laughs> you know, um, trying to be open-minded and, and trying not to become dogmatic about AA or yoga. Yeah. And then what that means is trying to be open to people's experience and trying to explain that in a way that made them make sense of what I was talking about as well as my making sense of what they were talking about. Did you find that to be uh, workable? Um, yes and no. I think I found it to be workable on certain levels, and I also found it to be highly offensive to certain people. Mm-hmm. Um the interesting thing I discovered in addiction is that once you get rid of the booze, you can still have a number of other addictions. They can be to rage, they can be to television, they can be to food, they can also be to dogma. <laughs> so you can become very addicted to the way your language experience, or sure. explains reality for you a certain way, and you don't want to hear anything else about what that's about. Um, that's cool if that works for you, but that's not a really, um, you're not really being a noble, compassionate bodhisattva to the rest of the world by doing that, you know. Right. So I have a problem with that. Sure. And I think you you, know, you can get, I suppose you can get dogmatic about anything. Like, well, you can do it about yoga, too. That's what I'm saying. Yoga, so You can do it about Catholicism. Catholicism, you whatever. About, uh, you can do it about Baptists. You can do it about, you know, uh, Islam. You, right. Whatever, whatever you, you know. And that's what you didn't want to do. Well, I didn't want to do that. And I also, I mean, I had a number of really interesting transpersonal, for lack of a better word, experiences. As I was, you know, the, the combination of sobriety and yoga opened. Say what a transpersonal, tra- trans or maybe you're going to do I'm going to try to do that. I'm just, just moving into experiences of consciousness that had nothing to do with what I considered to be the nature of reality. Okay. So I began, I mean, I just remember understanding language. Language is, is, it's almost a viral sort of thing. Language is a virus. It's not something that I own. It's not something that right. anybody else owns. But it's transmitted from person it's to person. It's transmitted from person to person, exactly. Right. And if you know how to transmit it, you can facilitate communication. Right. If you don't, then you can create barriers between people. And maybe the maybe the language, maybe that the language that gets used that I've heard frequently is just a, a spiritual experience. Right. And you use the you use the, the term transpersonal. Well, because I I yeah I've done a lot of reading in in psych and um, you know an interesting thing. But my sobriety was also uh, a huge venture into the medical aspects of what alcoholism was about. It was also a tremendous amount of reading and consulting with psychotherapists. I became really interested in those modalities of what mm-hmm. this was about. You know, so not to say that any one of those things was better or worse than the other. They were all just different. And so you're you're a highly curious, um, inquisitive man. Mm-hmm. And I think there's a, a lot a lot of you know. I think the fundamental view is don't ask too many questions. Just do it. Yeah, I had a problem with that. <laughs> I did have a problem with that because I I thought, well, the only reason you're telling me that is because you don't understand the other language. You don't understand right. the language of psychology. You don't understand right. the language of yoga. You don't understand the language talking, of whatever. So, and this brings me to the so the, so the psycho, so you were talking to psychotherapists and and looking at the psych. So you were obviously looking at the psychological or the emotional, mm-hmm. and that and that brings us sort of to the next level. We talked a little bit about your your physical healing and we've talked a little bit about your spiritual the, the spiritual angle of your your recovery and how that fits in 
What about the emotional and, and psychological? What did you find? Where, where, how did that go? How did that, um, how did that work for you? Well, what I found was a, 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 a highly terrified little child in a man's body. Mm. Fundamentally, and, that's what you... And that's... Yeah, and that's that. The, the the problem became well. What the hell do I do with this now? Because mm-hmm. I started to realize that on some on, on a bunch of different levels, I had some serious flaws going on, mm-hmm. um, emotionally, um, in terms of my relationship with other people, emotionally in terms of my relationship with myself, emotionally in terms of my relationship with the world, with objects. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the things I noticed, you know, it's interesting when you, you you can get rid of the booze, but then all of a sudden all these other addictions come into play. So mm-hmm. suddenly you realize that you're really addicted. Yeah, I like Starburst, or you know, <laughs> I, I like going to bookstores and buying books that I'll never read, or whatever. I mean, right, there can right. be any number of things right. that can be, you know, those 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 were some of mine. But and um, for those for those who who don't who who aren't addicted, they don't understand that when you say buying books that you'll never read, that means having stacks of books. Yeah. In your in your house. Yeah. Yeah, that are just like roughly waist high. That, yeah, that are just like wow, I want that. Right, right. Yeah, it's like oh, I kind of go on Amazon sometimes. This is something no, else. No, it yeah. becomes like, yeah, and it's like you can do it with clothing. I mean, the interesting yeah. thing is, as I've watched, as I'm walking through AA and and trying to sponsor others, seeing them doing the same thing with other things. I mean, I, 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 there's actually one gentleman I worked with who I helped him move. And he had more fishing equipment in that house than somebody on the South Pacific could have. It was like, what the hell is this, man? You know? Yeah. uh, yeah. But he had created... The interesting thing about that is what happens with that is... My understanding is that you, 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 you push your emotions towards the object of your affections. And so that becomes the addiction. And somehow it's like, I just need more of that because that makes me feel something. Right. The the booze made me feel that, but I can't have the booze. But now, like having ten point five ounce weights weights will have you know, or having books of poetry from some Arab in the middle of nowhere will have that, or food, or whatever. I mean, t- television, anything, anything. I sure. mean, you could you could become addicted to anything, right? If there's, you know? and I think the language that that I've heard is, if, you know, if there's a hole in the soul. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. It's and then. And that's ultimately what I started to realize is that it can be anything about filling myself. Yeah, that loud, that loud sucking sound will anything in its anything in its path unless you right. found a, unless you found a, a, a treatment for that. Oh, and then that's where that's where meditation and those things came in because those things practiced simply as techniques are about emptying out. Mm. They're about you cannot achieve any sense of internal. Uh, spaciousness, dignity, or whatever the case may be, if you keep filling yourself with things, right. whatever those are. You know, it's interesting. I, I think I was talking to a friend of mine about this this afternoon. In Tibetan Buddhism, they have these things called the hungry ghosts. Mm. And it's the hell realm. It's this, it's this realm that's inhabited by these beings who have like five different layers of mouths that are like eight or nine feet wide and so on and so forth. And they're constantly stuffing stuff in there. The only problem is that their, their neck is the, the size of a pencil. So they can't shove all that stuff back in enough. So they're constantly shoving stuff in, but vomiting it back out at the same time. Mm. Um, I got to tell you something. When I first read about that, I was like, wow, I was a hungry ghost. <laughs> I mean, that's... <laughs> I, was gonna say, I, know, I, know, I know that place know, intimately. So, yeah. I'm with that take on things. Okay. But so, the thing I want to mention about this, too, is that it also became... I had a lot of anger and a lot of just misplaced emotional stuff going on that I needed to sort out. 
you know, and that became fundamental to my to my sobriety. Mm-hmm. Again, I, I like to talk about recovery as a very personal endeavor because it's different for everybody. Mm-hmm. Everybody's got a different experience of it. I think it's real. I mean, ultimately, something about getting sober made me an individual. Mm. Okay. Prior to that, I thought I was an individual, but I wasn't. Mm-hmm. I was an automaton of some sort or another. But there was something about sobriety that made me confront, what? who the hell are you? And how the hell are you going to become something like that? That you weren't. That, that you were That was keeping you. The, right. The, the booze, the drugs, whatever. Right. That was keeping you from. Thank you. Yeah. So when you move them out of the way, then you can confront the questions. Well, then I had to confront the questions, yeah. and the questions had to do with the emotional, you know, the relationships I had. I mean, I really screwed up relationships with women, mm-hmm. relationships with the family, with other people. I mean, I, so a lot of that stuff had to be undone on a yeah. bunch of different levels, you know, and. Yoga helped, psychotherapy helped, um, making coffee for other addicts on a Saturday morning helped. I mean, as simple as ridiculous that sounds, but there was something about just having to be there and be present to something that you didn't understand was incredibly helpful to me. Well, that's a a pretty important thing. Be present. Say that again. Be Uh, be present to something you don't understand. Yeah, and be okay with that. And be okay with that, yeah, because I didn't understand. I mean, I knew, okay, I know what I've heard what AA is, and I've heard my, these people are telling me what sobriety is, but those are all words. I don't know what my experience of any of these things is going to be. Right. You know, but I somehow was able to say, okay, I'm just, you know, and it, it, trust me, it wasn't easy. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I believe you. And would you say that over the course of the time that you've been uh, been clean and sober here, that 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 some of those things have have come together. I mean, obviously, you've done a lot of healing. Obviously, you know, you've been able to go back to school. You're, mm-hmm. you're, you know, you're doing, you're doing, you know, noble work. You know, so you've pulled some of those strings together. Now that things are making more sense, you've repaired some of those relationships. Oh yeah, yeah, are, definitely. Um, well, the thing I think that the fundamental thing with my relationships is that I. I'm not a hungry ghost. I mean, we're going to go back to the hungry ghost metaphor because a lot of relationships I had were just about like, what can I get out of this for something I need right now? Mm-hmm. It had nothing to do with the person on a larger level. It was just, yeah, I needed something out of that. It's choking on it or whatever the case may be. And yeah. now I don't, I just don't feel that. Like I can look at a person and see the beauty in that person and be like, wow, this is kind of interesting. And it doesn't necessarily have to be a romantic or sexual relationship. It can just be the relationship I have with a person in a grocery store, just a kind of being like, wow, this is kind of curious. Who is this person? You know? Is there a particular kind of yoga? And this was a question from the audience. But is mm-hmm. there is was is there a particular kind of yoga that you practice that you would recommend, or is that an individualized? Uh, it's a hard question to answer because yoga in America has, I mean, just about every yoga studio that opens up creates their own kind of yoga. <laughs> okay. Um, but what I will say is I think it's really important. I mean, my experience has been with a particular, it's called Iyengar yoga, which is fashioned after the gentleman named BKS Iyengar. And Iyengar yoga is um, its very fundamental about alignment of the body about breath and how those two work together. Mm. So what you find happening in a lot of other, what I find happening in a lot of other yoga studios is it becomes a form of calisthenic exercise. It's up, down, back, forth, warrior one, warrior two, blah, blah, blah. That That's great for a little while, but after a while, it doesn't really do it. It doesn't create any kind of change in... It's not integrative. It's enough. not, thank you. There's yeah. the, the integral thing. And yeah. so there's something about Iyengar yoga 
that that leads people into that place of like you you take one posture and you might hold that one posture for a minute and a half, mm -hmm. which doesn't sound like a lot, but you go ahead and do it, and then you tell me what it feels like. You know, mm -hmm. it's it's it can be brutal, <laughs> but. It, it teaches you what it's really like to, again, assume the posture. Yeah. You know? so, the, so, so basically what you're saying is that, the, that you know, probably the, the best idea would be to look for an integrative sort of yoga. And you also said that there's like, you started with the physical, it, it, it went to the breath, and then it went to the quieting the mind. Mm -hmm. that, that was more or less the... And a good teacher will be able to show you all three of those. Right. And so that's maybe yeah. a, as an answer to the question. A good teacher should be able to. So well, ultimately, or if they if they can't, at least send you in the direction as opposed to telling you they know everything. You know. If. Um, I want to say one other thing though, and okay. there is a, one other form of yoga that I think is highly important for people in recovery. That's called Yin Yoga, okay. and it's um, it's where you're using instead of doing a lot of deep exercise or muscle work you're actually using poses to allow gravity to pull you into the ground mm -hmm. so you're taking poses and again you're holding them for really long periods of time but there's something about gravity undoing your musculature which is um, a pretty mind-blowing experience too so okay. i just wanted to throw that out there hey aaron are you gonna are you gonna play play this out sure Sure. All right, we're getting close, so I just thought maybe I'd better. Oh, no problem. Knock on your door, and you can get your get your guitar. Um, yeah. So we've got we've just got a couple of minutes here mm -hmm. before we close, and I think I I kind of have done this with everybody that's come on recently. Oh, you want to sit here? No. Um, and that is just to simply ask if there's anything that you think would be important. For, from you, from your heart, to newly recovering people or people who are considering stepping into recovery? What would you tell them? Um, I would tell them, let go of your fear. Just be really, really genuine and realize that the fear is not going to get you anywhere. And, and out of that... Um, the fear will open you up to new things, and that's where you'll actually become open-minded and and flexible. And that's what you've done. That's what you you know you. Well, thank you. you I, I've tried. Into, yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. yeah stepped tried. into the you know done the translation, not not become fundamental and mm -hmm. and let it happen to you. I think so. <laughs> <laughs> I think so. Well, thank you. No, I, I, mean, I, I know. You, yeah, you, thank you. You express yourself so well, and mm. uh, you, you you've given us such such good information tonight. I really appreciate you coming out and doing it and. Thank you. It's been a wonderful oh. experience. Yeah, thank you. It's <laughs> an excellent thing. And uh, then we're going to ask uh, Aaron's going to Aaron's going to play a little guitar on the way out, and then you'll uh, you'll you'll close us up. Uh, and then when Aaron's when Aaron's done playing, I'll do the exit. We have one minute to play. I do have a little disclaimer. I'm not a professional. Since we have a fellow guitarist in the room that did name drop Jimmy Page, so. <laughs> <laughs> But the stage name is Jimmy, actually. But, but <laughs> see what I can do. And I haven't played in a long time, so. <laughs> Okay.
thank tonight's guest, Chomps, and, uh, and also thank our listeners and our studio audience for making us a successful little underground support source for the recovering community. Uh, we'll email our reminders next uh, for next week's show, and as always, look at recovery from a wide and open perspective. Remember to check recoveryinternetradio.com for all the archive shows and to sign up for our email reminder list. Remember, too, we want to hear from you so we know where you are. As always, live today, love yourself, and your trudge the happy road to destiny. We hope you've enjoyed the show. See you again next Sunday night. Thank you. Perfect timing. One second.